0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing
1: health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Horticulture Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Richard Jackson of Richard Jackson Garden. Now, Richard uniquely won a Horticulture Week Garden Retail Lifetime Achievement Award in 2016 and a Garden Media Guild Lifetime Achievement Award in 2017. He founded the Greenfingers Charity in 1998. He founded the Garden Press Event in 2006 and he's worked with Hillier, NotCutts, Fisons and as a journalist and broadcaster for, amongst other people, News of the World, QVC, and on many radio and TV programmes. So, welcome, Richard. Thank you very much, Matt. Excellent. Now, I'd just like to ask you a little bit more about your background in the industry. Where did it all start? Do you know, it was a bit of a fluke
0: I ever got involved in, in gardening in the first place. I mean, I love gardening since the age of eight and I I was working with my granddad up in Yorkshire and he was showing me some strawberry plants. And then I spotted this luscious red strawberry. And he said, well, that's one you've helped me grow. And I said, "Was it? And so he said, try it. And Matt, I picked up this sun ripened, wonderful luscious looking strawberry, ate it, and that was it. Age eight, I've been hooked on gardening ever since then. It was fantastic. So soon after that, I went home, and I bought a greenhouse and I started growing bedding plants and growing plants like bird of paradise from seed. Absolutely loved it. And that was until I was around twelve and I used to grow bedding plants for pocket money. But then I hit my sort of teenage years and there were other interests. Um, and I ended up at Southampton University doing ecology. And in the third years, you know, you know, you're students, you're looking around for jobs. And I saw a job advertised for Hilliers of Winchester, and I went along and. Uh, met um, Brian, who, who's the uh, head of the uh, production area, and he offered me a job. And it sounded great because it was with plants, and, the, and I love plants. But then he told me the salary, and it was less than I was getting as a student. I said, oh, I can't do this. You know, horticulture isn't for me. So I went off, joined a bank, did it for two weeks, absolutely hated it. So I rang up Brian and said, look, can I, can I join... You were and he said, yeah. So I joined the mobile gang. And it was, it was a choice, really. It, it, it was heart over head. And so I, I followed my heart. I joined the mobile gang, which was an international group in the back of um, Rentry Hostel. And they went out and dug up trees in the winter. and We planted berberis uh, around Easter time with our bare hands. So it was a hell of an experience learning curve. But one of the amazing things that happened when I was there was that the arboretum was just over the other side of the road from Brentree Hostel and Roy Lancaster was the curator. And Roy used to take us round in his spare time around looking at all these plants. And it was incredible. And I saw him with kids and he would sort of shimmy up eucalyptus trees and pretend to be a koala bear. He would jump out of bamboo and pretend to be a tiger. And he would talk to us, all these students, and say, look, this is this is gardening at its best. And that's when I really turned on to gardening. And that was it. It was the start of my gardening career in, in, in sort of, in earnest. And so from that, the mobile gang, I went to Fison's and I, I was assistant in charge of grow bags. And I learned all about marketing from a great team, including Stuart Kitchen and John Ashley. Um, I went to Notcuts, because I wanted to learn more about plants. So I worked for uh, Stuart Veach, who's a brilliant guy. Um, Notcuts had six garden centres then, and we were supplying the plants to the garden centres, mainly via Notcuts nurseries. But that then was a turning point for me because I saw an advert. Because I, I did a tiny bit of work in the garden centre, and I ran a garden centre for about two weeks for Notcuts when the garden centre manager was away. And I saw an advert. They were. Lo- it was in, actually in Hawk Week, and they were looking for someone to set up a garden centre from scratch as an employment and training project for for long-term unemployed youngsters in London, and it was Camden Garden Centre. They wanted to start that off. It's a joint enterprise between Camden Council and um, <clears throat> the Welcome Foundation. And I applied and got the job, and that was amazing. I was joined by Adam Kaplan, a brilliant guy, uh, a real dynamo and, and plant enthusiast, and we set up Camden Garden Centre. We took on a multiracial, multinational group of youngsters, all of whom had been long-term unemployed, trained them up, and, and set up this garden centre from scratch on the
1: basis of a £100,000 overdraft facility. Wow. Some people, some people then called you the, the Jamie Oliver of gardening, but as, as we've seen Jamie Oliver now um, you know, enthusing young people in, into the industry. And, and you mentioned getting young people in um, when, you, you, know, when you, you went as a graduate. And I guess people like Hilly would dearly love more graduates to come in now. So what, what can you do to get those, those graduates to be attracted to horticulture now? That's an interesting question because
0: there are so many people out there looking at all these different job opportunities. And, and I know, you know the HTA and people like that and uh, the RHS have done a lot to encourage people into horticulture, but we need to do more to let them know what a brilliant industry it is. And also we've got to look at salaries. Salaries need to be higher to attract people. I almost didn't get into gardening in the first place because it was such a lousy starting salary. And you know, Even now, Matt, you look at some of the head gardeners doing these amazing jobs, working for the National Trust and private gardens, and they're working sort of seven days a week, and they're being paid a pittance. They're being given some accommodation, and they're not earning really a, a proper living from it. So the industry needs to wake up and, and pay more.
1: No, no, indeed it does. Now, you moved into some pretty high-profile roles after that, including gardening columnists for the News of the World and, and with QVC, but... With New to the World, do you have any any entertaining tales from your days back working with them?
0: Oh, that's that's an unfair question. I got the job thanks to Peter Seabrook, who recommended me to to, to them, and, and so I'm forever grateful to Peter. At the time, the News of the World was the widest read publication, I think, in the whole of Europe, and, and so we had something like ten million readers. It was an extraordinary place, and. Um, What I loved about it was this connection with the readers because we could write one week about something and they demand the interest in what we're talking about. There was a packet, I wrote about um, a particular sort of uh, climbing plot, slightly unusual one, and I said we, we can actually give a few packets of seeds away if anyone would like them. And 25,000 people wrote in for that packet of seeds, or those packets of seeds. And, and the guys who were supplying them actually managed to, to, to source enough seeds to send out to everyone. So the response to the column was amazing. Um, oh, I, I, I got into awful trouble once because I was writing, I think it was with Jacob McVicker, about some herbal remedies. Fascinating, sort of, some of these plants that could use in different ways... Um, you know, you can use them as, as sort of table cleansers, you can use them as, as a mosquito deterrents, so the old-fashioned herbal remedies. But she had to mention in passing that one of them was a herbal Viagra. So, of course, I wrote about that in News of the World, and poor old Jekka was flooded with these slightly dubious phone calls and letters and things, people wanting this herbal Viagra.
1: And she never let me forget it. Excellent. Fantastic story there. Now, um... <laughs> getting more to today, you, you've entered the garden centre market with your, your own range and you won uh, a couple of GEMA awards um, very recently. So can you tell us a bit more about your new range? Oh, well, I mean, it was an amazing experience and, and uh, totally unexpected.
0: I mean, for a number of years, I've been fortunate enough to bring a range of products to QVC and at the outset, when we introduced the products, we we based them on professional proven products being used by commercial growers. So basically, you know, generally in gardening and, 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 and most retailing, there's good, better, best categories. We wanted the best category. We wanted proven performers. And so for a number of years, we've been selling products like um, Flower Power, which is my um, fertilizer, um, high potash fertilizer, which um, it's coming up to the 15th anniversary of that, incidentally, so looking forward to that next year. But we tended to concentrate on on the standard lines for gardeners in standards of hopefully nice packaging, sort of echoing very much what's been in the garden industry. But during lockdown, we began to realise, you know, there's a brand new market. And I know you've been talking about it, the three million new gardeners. And the boom of the houseplant industry at the same time made us realise that perhaps there's a new niche for for interesting but beautifully packaged garden products. Products that looked as good as they they worked. And sort of products, because I mean, a lot of the gardening products are as dull as ditch water and they're actually quite ugly. So, you know, if you had them in the home, you'd hide them under the kitchen sink. We wanted something you could put out there with pride because it looked nice. It looked like those wonderful sort of beauty products as well. And so that's why we introduced the Plantsmith range. And it was inspired by my son, Nick, who's really into houseplants now. So we, we introduced it last autumn, and it started to get a bit of traction in February. So John Lewis took it, the Royal Horticultural Society took it. And we thought, well, let's enter it into uh, GEMA, the GEMA Awards. And boy, I mean, it was brilliant because we won the Garden Products Award and also the, clothing and, the Garden Clothing and Gift Category Award. So it was extraordinary. Our first sort of tentative step into, into the industry and we won. So we, we were chuffed to bits.
1: And what do you think that's going to mean for the, for the range and, and in terms of uh, penetration into garden centres?
0: Well, it's been great. We've had a lovely response already. And, and so um, a, a, a lot more people are talking to us. And so the publicity we've got from winning the award has been tremendous. We will expand the range and we're also going to expand the flower power range. But what we're really doing is sort of, we've always sort of, we've sold on QVC and, and maybe we get the chance to talk later about QVC because it's an extraordinary selling machine. But we wanted to bring our products to a wider audience. So we've gone to, um, we have we sell on our website now, uh, we're selling on Amazon and going into bricks and mortar mean we become a multi-channel retailer, which is the way forward for us and lots of other people. But one of the interesting things with Plantsmith is its premium price, its premium presentation. So a a bottle of the the feed sells for about 14.99. And it's really interesting because one or two garden centers have come back to us and said, oh, it's too expensive. Well, I think they've sort of somehow missed the point because we're selling to a younger, more style-conscious audience to begin with. It's a product which is a gift purchase, and it's also one for for, for day-to-day gardeners. But if a garden centre is going to sell a a pack of houseplant feed, they could sell something like Baby Bio or Performance Organics, and they could sell that for about £4 or so. Um, I don't know how much money they'd make on that, their their cash profit, about £2 or so. But if they sell ours, they'll be making about £6, you know, because of the, the margins. So... It's extraordinary. Garden centres sometimes have, slightly, to my mind, old-fashioned thinking, and it's partly indicative of, of the garden centres and the industry selling too cheaply. And we don't do ourselves any favour. I think Plantsmith is raising the bar.
1: You now, it sounds like it is to me. And I was at the uh, Gem Awards, and it certainly went down very well. Your your wins. Now you mentioned QVC. You've worked with QVC for many years. So how does that work? <laughs> Do you know, I, I started with
0: QVC, um, I was doing Radio 5 at the time, Radio 5, and the presenter, John Briggs, said, oh, there's a new channel starting up called uh, QVC. Why don't you come along and look at it? And I went along and, and, and uh, talked to them about it. So about three months after they opened, and this was about 26 years ago, um, they invited me to come along on a Saturday afternoon. And I had an hour selling six garden tools. you yeah, And if you imagine it, Matt, you're, you're spending about 10 minutes talking about the attributes of a garden fork. So it was, it was extraordinary. I thought, as dull as ditch water, I thought, when I was doing it. And at the end of the show, the buyer came out and said, that was tremendous. We've done really well. We've sold £300 worth of product. I said, £300? I thought, this isn't ever going to last. But extraordinarily enough, as QVC got more products in and it got more... Maybe it got less American. It got more sort of um, anglicised. It began to take off and it got better and better and better. So what fascinated me is when I was, say, in a garden centre and selling plants or products, I could could talk for, say, five minutes to one customer. But on QVC, I could be talking to literally tens of thousands of customers saying the same thing, but to a much wider audience. And that was... Fascinating, but also you could demonstrate. You could show if you're showing a planting membrane, you could show how a planting membrane worked. So you weren't in the garden center, it's often the static cell. QVC, it was a live cell, and you could show the benefits, and that was fun. So I love that bit. Um, gradually, QVC um, got more confidence in the garden market, and, and I ended up with um, being the guest presenter and the gardening presenter, and I had my own shows called Richard Jackson's Garden. And they gave us eventually the prime slot Saturday morning and Sunday morning for two hours, Saturday and Sunday. And we became the most watched uh, programmes on QVC. But what was amazing was actually the power of QVC. I remember talking to a lady called Sandy Worth who had um, she'd introduced super poppies, a new range of ever-blooming uh, Oriental-type poppies, and she said, you know, I've sold 5,000 plants a year, two-litre plants a year. So I talked to her, we brought these plants to QVC, we sold them as plugs, as slightly larger plugs. We sold in one day 250,000 of these plugs. And she was saying, I can sell 5,000 two-litre plants in a year, but I've sold 250,000 plugs in one day. So the power of QVC is absolutely phenomenal, and it still continues to be a, a
1: force to be reckoned with. It's extraordinary. No, oh, brilliant. So what are you doing with them these days?
0: Um, well, I, I stepped back a couple of years ago. My choice, I wanted time off, to be honest. I couldn't continue to do virtually every Saturday and Sunday as well as do everything else. So I'm now continuing to do my, um, my, my range of products, my flower power range of products. Um, on QVC and handed over to Michael Perry and worked very closely with him and he's doing an excellent job so it's Michael Perry's garden and more recently uh, Mark Lane has joined as well and, and he's brilliant as well and, and again another joy to work with so I'm actually sort of tending now just to go on to QVC
1: to sell the flower power range. I see and how do you see that balance bet- between the multi-channels panning out in the gardening market? Because you're, you're involved in all of it, aren't you, now? The, the garden centre, the TV, online. How, how, how do you think that's going to work out in the end? I mean, I love the balance of it.
0: You know, with QVC, we had all our eggs in one basket, and, and so if QVC decided they didn't want to do something, we were slightly scuppered. Or if they wanted a lot more of something, uh, uh, we couldn't produce it because we're having to produce so far in advance. But by having different outlets for our products it's safer for us. We're reaching a wider audience. So everybody's a winner. So that's what I love about it. And I think it's going to continue. You can see the success of Garden. You can see the success of, say, Thompson and Morgan. Um, And it's quite interesting that people like Miracle Grow are sort of trying out little things. Westland are as well. So I think What's going to happen in the future is a lot of these sort of manufacturers who've just looked at the one route to market as such, bricks and mortar, are going to be much more aware of and conscious of the importance of multi-channel retailing. And I think garden centres are increasingly aware of that as well. So I actually think it's really exciting the way it's going. So we've got all these different ways to tell people about gardening, our products, and the wider the audience, the wider the reach, the better for everybody.
1: Oh, indeed. So have you got new ranges planned for next year? <laughs> yes, we have.
0: I mean, we're, we're sort of unlike, say, normal manufacturers in that you know, they bring out loads every every time at Glee. Um, we bring out two or three a year. And again, they tend to be based on commercial products which have been tried and tested um, by um, professional growers and we in a way we call it like the salon solution you go into a professional hairdresser's and they have products they use and and they are you know they occasionally sell them to their customers we're trying to do the same thing with gardening so we're taking the best the tried tested trusted products from the commercial sector and bring them and make them available to home gardeners so we've got a couple coming up next year which is quite fun um, and I can't really say much about it yet because it got to be launched next year, Matt. So um, yeah, uh, there's one in particular I'm very excited about. It's based on some stuff that's been happening in Europe—extraordinary stuff. So it's cutting-edge sort of technology and um, with proven success, and it's natural as well,
1: which is one of the ways forward. Oh, well, watch this space on that. So uh, a bit more about your thoughts on the future of the industry. You mentioned natural there. Where, where do you see the trends going in terms of? What people want to buy um it's really interesting this because
0: you know I, i've been oh i've been hanging around in the industry for years as you know and there are always sort of changes happening but i, I think there are a number of things i mean greener and s- sustainable is the way forward whether it's um you know things like plant pots and there's a, a feature in hawk week recently talking about plant pots uh, more recyclable pots, more compostable pots that's so important obviously Peat-free is the way forward. We've got a great peat-free compost, which is gaining traction now, and I'm very pleased with it, having done lots of trials in the back garden first with it. Um, So greener, more sustainable, more diversity as well. Um, You know, when we set up Canada Garden Centre years ago, we had a really diverse mix of kids. We had Eric from Nigeria, we had had, uh, David, and we had... uh, Christine, I think, from Barbados. We had an amazing group of people. And certainly, all of those kids we took on for the first two years at Camden all went on to long-term jobs. And Camden, as you know, is still still very, very successful. Um, so that's brilliant. So more diversity. And, and obviously the RHS with Sue Biggs and uh, the media with people like Danny Clark coming to prominence. It's all happening. But we need to be more diverse in our industry. And at the Gene Awards the other day, it was wonderful to be there but it was very sort of white and middle class, I felt. So yeah, we need to get more people into the industry, more diverse. Um, more social responsibility as well. I think that's a way forward. Some of these big companies got to do more. They've got to link in with sort of consumer groups. They've got to link in with community projects and charities. With Greenfingers, I mean, we, we've we linked up recently with miracle Grow and AIMS and people like that who've done a lot with us. But Hopefully, they benefit as much from the link with the charity as much as as we, the charity, do. But I think companies have got to show more more awareness of the community and and charities as well, and it does them good. And also, more partnerships. There's a lot happening in the industry at the moment. I think sometimes we ought to consolidate and bring together different skills so I think that's going to happen. It may be companies being taken over and swallowed up, but it may be sort of people like us working with some of the bigger manufacturers and saying, okay, you go into the garden centre with your range, but we'll take your range, adapt it and take it in different directions. So I think that's really an exciting way forward as well. So really the future, I think greener, more sustainable gardening, more diversity, more social responsibility and
1: more partnerships. Brilliant. Oh, well, that is a good good look into, into what might happen soon, uh, sooner rather than later possibly. So um, just to finish up, Richard, after that fascinating insight into your experience of the gardening world, we always ask our guests, what is your desert island plant? If there's one plant you would you could end up marooned with on a desert island, what would it be?
0: Uh, yeah, it's such a tricky one. I, Matt, I'm assuming it's going to be a temperate climate because... I can't cope if it's tropical because I won't be able to grow the plants I really want to. So I'm assuming it's temperate. So my first thought was actually a lovely lavender called Melissa Lilac, which I really adore. It's got the fragrance. It's got that wonderful pale lilac colour. But the other reason I'd have it there is to sort of rub the lilac, sorry, the lavender leaves on my arms to keep the mozzies away, which is something Jack and McVicker taught me about. But then I decided the plant I'm going to take is is quite a sort of, it's absolute beauty. It ought to be better known about, I mean, lots of gardeners know it, but it's not known by the wider public. the, the snowy mespolis, or amalanchia lamarchii, which is an extraordinary plant for all seasons. In the spring you get these incredible white flowers, followed by bronzy leaves that turn green during the summer. Then you get the berries, which the birds can come and eat from. So you get the birds coming down and eating. I'd be lying underneath it drinking a pina colada or something while the birds come and eat these berries. And then this fabulous autumn colour, so fiery reds and oranges. And in the winter, you get this incredible tracery branches. So it really is a plant for all seasons. But the other reason that I'd grow it is it's one of the very first plants recommended to me by Roy Lancaster. And so if I had it there... I'd be enjoying it all year round, but also it'll be bringing back very happy memories at the time that I really got into gardening.
1: (laughs) Superb. So practical, beautiful and nostalgic too. And uh, it's been great talking to you, Richard. It's been a really amazing insight into your horticulture career and also a look into what might happen in the future from someone who's um, been at the forefront of what's been going on in gardening for for many years now so thank you very much to richard jackson i'm matthew appleby and horticulture week editor and um, this has been the horticulture week podcast make sure you never miss one subscribe to or follow horticulture week podcast via apple podcasts spotify or google podcasts or your preferred podcast podcast platform and if you're interested in producing a podcast with what contact me matthew.applev at haymarket.com so until next time thanks very much